What's up, boys and girls? Going solo today. Joe had uh, some other plans. I don't think he's going to be able to make it in time. Uh, I also want to let you know we're going to start. Uh, we've decided to cut the schedule back uh, a good amount. So we're probably going to start um, only doing three days a week going forward. So um, be prepared that we will probably be shifting our schedule to Monday, Tuesdays, and Thursdays. Uh, that is not final yet. We will let you know uh, in advance. But uh, no Joe today, um, unless he's able to jump in and join us uh, in a bit. So um, we had a little uh, miscommunication on my part. And uh, anyway, but we want to announce then let you guys know that we are going to uh, reduce the number of shows. And the primary reason for that is that we are... Um, way overbooked in our lives and professionally and uh, need to pay some attention to some of the revenue generating things in our lives. But um, we may be adding some other uh, special things uh, at some point here uh, as we proceed. So hope everybody's having a great day. I am, uh, I am having a lovely day, uh, a day of uh, phone calls and no, it was Miss Kunuki Chuck says, guess that doc visit stretched him out after all. <laughs> no, it was, uh, we had a little miscommunications on the reduction in schedule happening sooner than later. So uh, I'm taking full responsibility for that. And he made some other plans, I believe. So uh, I think he's going to, um, he'll be back tomorrow. Tomorrow we have, uh, uh, we have, what is his name? We have uh, Merrick Alzuski from uh, Cello or Cello. I assume it's Cello uh, blockchain, um, which I think we all have a little bit of familiarity with. But I'm looking forward to uh, discussing uh, why Cello is uh, Cello, Cello, whatever is better. I'm also going to ask him how to pronounce the name of the project. Um, but I'm going to find out and try to get an understanding of. Uh, what uh, what makes uh, that blockchain better than other blockchains, um, how it functions, what it does, and all of that good stuff. So looking forward to that. Uh, unfortunately, Sean is not coming on Thursday. He had to uh, run out of town at the last minute. It's not going to be available to do the show. And uh, so I think on Thursday, I'm probably going to do a bit of the uh, – the old school uh, yield stuff. And I've also got a few projects um, that I want to take a look at uh, that we haven't discussed on the show before. And um, some new, some just uh, haven't been on the radar. So uh, on Thursday, we'll kind of go back to to the old days of, uh, of um, DeFi lunch where we uh, discuss some opportunities in the market. So anyway, um, <clears throat> let me uh, take a moment here and get some stuff loaded up. I usually have a minute to uh, chit-chat with Joe, um, but uh, today I did not have time to set that up, so I need to set up the screen to do that. In the meantime, um, if you guys have some stuff that you think we should be discussing, uh, let me know. I'm... Uh, I'm happy to, uh, you know, throw it here in the comments. I'm happy to opine. Um, I haven't heard any news. I guess uh, ex-president uh, Trump is going in for his arraignment today. Uh, I don't think that's going to impact the markets all. Yesterday, um, there was a rumor circulating fast and furious, um, and it came about kind of in a strange way, uh, 
Kobe, if you're familiar with Kobe, was um, had tweeted a uh, hash string, uh, and I don't. I'm still not sure if people actually cracked it or not or what. But the claim is is that people cracked it and that uh, uh, CZ was going to get a uh, red notice from Interpol. Uh, the markets uh, jumped four uh, percent uh, on that uh, information, and uh, CZ, of course, says that there has been no red notice, and uh, you know came out and denied the the rumor, and then uh, posted his number four meme, I guess, again. Uh, so I have no idea if any of that's true, but uh, that was some of the stir up uh, that occurred yesterday uh, with the market, and uh, you know who who knows uh, where that's going to end up. I have a hard time uh, seeing that happening, but Hey, I guess it, I guess it could. Um, <clears throat> Mr. Uh, Mr. Uh, Musk has decided to mess with everybody's head and uh, add the doge symbol to the top of Twitter. And so uh, that gave a nice run up in the price yesterday for uh, Doge. I don't know where it is today, if it's uh, dumped back down or not, but um, it was uh, hilarious to see um, that uh, uh, he's once again yanking everybody's chain. And of course, those holding, uh, those holding, um, Doge are happy campers today. So, you know, um, I guess uh, if you had a stack, you're, 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 you were happy yesterday if you unloaded for some profits. Let me see if it's doing some more, but he continues to keep it up there. Um, it is up 25.22% in or 25.48% in the last 24 hours. So uh, Elon has successfully yanked chains. The interesting thing is he's in the middle of a $250 billion lawsuit um, against him um, for pumping and dumping Doge, or that's the, <coughs> excuse me, that's the uh, accusation against him. He's asking for the suit to be dismissed because he says it's baseless and groundless, um, you know. I have no idea. He claims he never owned any, um, doesn't own any. And uh, anyway, uh, yeah, uh, Niblets brought up Doge. Is Elmo just playing games to straight pl troll the space, replacing the bird logo with the Shiba head? Yeah, it cracks me up. Uh, I did see a funny meme uh, that he posted uh, earlier yesterday. Let me see if I can pull that up. Uh, or later, earlier today, I guess. Uh, that was actually kind of, cute and funny and i'll load up my screen if i can find it yeah here it is let me uh let me share screen so this is the uh <laughs> this is the the uh cartoon uh if you can't see it well on the screen it, the the cop is pulled over <laughs> doge and uh, holding up his license and the photo in the license is of the Twitter bird. And uh, the Doge is saying that's an old photo. So those of you listening at home, uh, you can now see the joke. I'll put the link to it in the show notes, but uh, I thought that was cute. I thought that was funny. Uh, Niblet says, is it is technically feasible unit of exchange if Elmo plans to integrate settlements into Twitter? I look, Anything that gets the general population's attention to earning money with crypto, I'm happy to see. If he does it, 
more power, more power to him that integration into Twitter. I I'm happy for it. I mean, I'd love to see Bitcoin and ETH alongside, um, and I would hope he'd have the sense to do that. But um, I definitely would love to see that. I'd also be really happy with Doge and Canto as the tokens of uh, Twitter. But I'm sure Canto is not even on the uh, on the. Uh, Elmo doesn't even Elmo doesn't even know that Canto exists. Is what I was going to say. Uh, so anyway, that news is uh, interesting. Things are stirring up. Um, in about an hour, when it finishes compiling, I am I am posting an interview with uh, the a pretty amazing human being. Um, his name is Dr. Josh Rosenthal, formerly a historian, a three-time uh, tech startup entrepreneur with sizable exits. Um, he always works with his wife and another partner of theirs, uh, on all of their businesses and has an amazing way of not only framing, um, crypto in parallel with the Renaissance and parallel with the American revolution. Um, but he also has an incredible way of framing crypto for startup founders. And, um, he gives presentations quite a bit on, um, at Ivy League schools and startup foundations and that kind of stuff, uh, accelerators, et cetera, talking about um, decentralized innovation um, and basically do using a layered approach uh, to explaining the value and the strength of peer-to-peer -peer and crypto and decentralization without actually saying uh, crypto, at least until near the end of his presentations. And the framing was so powerful um, that I saw him do this on <clears throat> on Twitter that I asked him to come on. And he doesn't do that many appearances, so I was really honored to have him. Well, we spoke for about two and a half hours. The episode's going to be right under uh, two hours with, with some edits, but it's really powerful. The other thing he does is um, he did – the reason he came onto my radar and I started following him was he did um, – excuse me, two interviews with Bankless. Um, one was called Crypto Renaissance. The other one was called Crypto Revolution, where he goes into a ton of detail um, on how he sees the parallels between what's happening in crypto now and the Renaissance and the, the crypto revolution, the American revolution. And the Renaissance is tied directly into uh, public ledgers that became available for, I mean, ledgers that became available for accounting during the Renaissance and the power of the printing press. So talking about kind of value and communications becoming freer. And he talks a lot about how societies become aggregated and then become decentralized. And the Renaissance he sees as a decentralization moment for the world um, <clears throat> and sees that as incredibly powerful. He is a historian, um, Fulbright scholar, the whole bit, um, did quite a bit of study and work in um, medieval archives and um, just really powerful, powerful theorist, I guess I would call it. He has a venture capital firm um, and he also in, has a fund that invests in funds as well as a family office from all of the exits that he and his wife and his partner have done. And uh, I think you will find this an incredibly enlightening and powerful um, episode of Mission DeFi for you to listen to. Um, he really... Um, his framing of where we are and what we're doing is just 
pretty amazing to me. One of the questions, you know, we talked about the te- fact that during the Renaissance, <clears throat> the powers that be tried to suppress uh, the printing pa- press and uh, control it and failed miserably at both of those things. And then um, he talks about the fact that they finally had to try to co-opt it. And I said to him, I said, you know, in the context of where we are today with all of the power and capabilities that regulators and governments and lawsuits can have um, against crypto, aren't you, or do you find yourself nervous about the fact that you have bet, you know, all of your venture funds in the crypto space and that everything you do is related to that? I said, do you, does that keep you up at night or does it make you nervous? And his response to me is, is it makes me double down. Um, he does not believe that it can be stopped. Um, and I don't mean that in a, a, a cavalier way. He sees that it will be, he sees inevitability in the decentralization of the planet again. And he firmly believes that um, the internet will be crypto, crypto will be the internet, and that um, it's unavoidable, that eventually um, they will have to try to co opt it. Um, and that they will fail at completely co-opting it and that ultimately um, it will prevail. The other thing is, is if you've ever thought about having a startup, his approach to not only investing and, um, and crypto are unique, but his approach is, you know, every venture capital firm tells you that they're founder centric and founder focused. Well, he lays out how, you know, all venture firms are not obviously founder focused, they're focused on their, on their fund, but talks about positioning entrepreneurs for um, a better outcome and positioning them and focusing them on their exit, not, um, not the funds exit. So anyway, we talk a lot about um, incentives. We talk about lot about misaligned and aligned incentives. We talk about where he thinks things are going. Just a really powerful, powerful, brilliant man. Um, I think you will get a lot out of it. I really encourage you uh, to take the time to listen to it. It is a long episode, um, but to my mind, well worth it. We had a, a really great conversation and hit it off. So anyway, Niblet says, I like the parallel with the Renaissance. Our economic infrastructure hasn't really changed much in the past couple hundred years, banking, corporation, et cetera. It's overdue for a evolution. I, I totally agree. And when you hear him describe what happened during the Renaissance, the parallels to crypto are just unbelievable. Like really, really it's um, double entry bookkeeping, uh, a public ledger, encrypted public ledger, and then uh, um, communications. Um, He talks about the fact that, um, you know, we don't know that we are peasants, but we are peasants just as during that time um, they knew nothing different. Right. So we don't own any of our data. We don't truly have control over our money. We don't, um, um, we're, we're beholden to governments for what we are allowed and not allowed to do. Um, and he talks about the fact that, that, you know, at the time that the, the, there, there's all kinds of pain and suffering that comes with the Renaissance, all kinds of hurt, all kinds of things that happen because the change is so dramatic and so different that it, that it, the upset, the shift in mindset is, uh, is painful for people. So, Anyway, exciting stuff. Uh, I hope you'll uh, I hope you'll uh, give it a listen because I, I really feel uh, awesome about this episode. I, it's going to end up being my t- one of my top three, I think, of all time of the ninety or so ninety four of 
episode interviews I've done like that. So Niblet said thought loyalty points are considered discounts because you have to spend money to get them and they have no cash value. So if a coin has no off ramp to fiat, then it's equivalent to airline points. So if Gary Gensler shuts down the on off ramps, does he make crypto a non-security? Oh, that's uh, <laughs> that's really interesting. I like that, man. Uh, I would assume that if there is no value, it's no longer a security. Uh, that's, uh, but that's a really interesting thought. Hadn't, uh, hadn't really thought about that, but I love that. Niblet's going deep today. Love it. Uh, actually, Niblet's is always pretty deep. So uh, let me see. Uh, what do I have loaded up so far today? <clears throat> Maybe we'll just do a short show today. We'll see. I already did Activision yesterday. Okay, where are those stories I had loaded up? Sorry, folks, you're gonna have to bear with me a second. Do, do, do. Oh, okay, so this is an awesome uh, post uh, thread by Gabriel Shapiro. If you're thinking about setting up a DAO, um, he really does a brilliant job of outlining based on the 2017 SEC uh, DAO documents, um, what their expectations are for DAOs. And then he, he lays out really, you know, the three laws of a DAO. Um, and he says, basically, at, at its simplest, a DAO is a robot. Bitcoin is a DAO. Ethereum is a DAO. But he said, if an org is not both decentralized and autonomous, it's not a DAO. If an org doesn't follow Stan Larimer's three rules of DAO robotics, I'll read those to you in a minute, it is not a DAO. DAOs cannot own IP. DAOs cannot have representatives. Um, so that's a pretty strict interpretation of the decentralization to make a DAO real, right? Uh, and these are those three laws he was talking about. Law number one, a DAO must encode all its rules in its software. That software must be fully public and the DAO must, must by its intrinsic nature, always obey that software, i.e. DAOs must run under the control of an incorruptible set of rules that are implemented as publicly auditable open source software. I think by that he is also stating that, you know, that the, the rules in the, of the governance must be implemented via code. Um, and so I think um, that makes a ton of sense from the perspective of everything that this SEC has ever said, uh, uh, other entities have ever said, that makes a ton of sense. Law number two, a DAO must not be able to change its rules without consent of its stakeholders and such, such consent must not violate law number one. In other words, all of everything needs to be in software, right? So everything needs to be um, uh, happen via the software on chain and only the uh, stakeholders consent to having that done. It can't be a representative taking you in literal action. Law number three, a DAO must protect its own existence as long as such protection does not conflict with law number one or law number two. I think those are really some great guidelines. Um, and, uh, you know, I hope this gets a lot of attention in the space and people really start thinking about this. There are um, a, a good example of this that's um, at, that probably puts them in a bit of trouble um, is Beanstalk. Um, started out as all of governance happening in software, but then the hack, the um, exploit of them came through the code. So they shut down the software that was running governance. And I would assume that based on this, um, Gabriel and Stan's, <clears throat> excuse me, choking, uh, interpretation would be that Beanstalk went from what would be probably considered a DAO 
to not being a DAO because governance is no longer handled by software. Um, but maybe special circumstances of a exploit would merit uh, some time out for that. I don't know. Niblet said, I asked GPT for Joe Banter to help fill the gap. <laughs> it responded with. <laughs> Chuck said, that is more the code is the law bullshit, though. I'm still waiting for someone to code up the legal term best faith effort. No, I, I think that's reasonable. I, I mean, I think from, from what they're saying is, you know, if there's a primary person running everything, not a good thing for in the eyes of, you know, what the SEC has said in the past. Obviously, we need far greater clarification on everything related to crypto, DAOs, tokens, et cetera. And they just are refusing to give it to us. But based on what available is available from them, these are kind of the guiding principles. And look, you know, there are very few projects that do this. One way to do that, you know, one way, well, this isn't a DAO. There's another set of terms that came out from Europe yesterday. And I hope I have that tweet loaded up. Um, but essentially, like there's only five projects in the space that I can that I know of right now that are fully, truly, radically decentralized, liquidity, and some others. Um they are the only ones that would qualify not having further scrutiny and surveillance by the European Union. But we'll talk about that in a minute if I can find that article. So Shizzy said, so if a DAO needs a person for any reason, it is not a DAO, not including token holder voting. Um, I think if I, I think the need for a person to write people to write code, to implement things, to do tasks is fine. I think what they're saying is that at the decision point, at the point where actual decisions are being made on behalf of the DAO, that um, in fact, you know, that that has to be governed by code. My assumption would be that that one of the things that might come out of that is is the people doing those tasks may need some contractual obligation as a freelancer, a third party, or a consultant for implementing those things and get paid by the DAO. I I have no idea. I'm not an attorney. Don't take my advice, but um, Anyway, that's that's what I would think. Niblet said, permanence and immutability in software are pretty dangerous. We have a hard time getting things right the first time. Yeah, I agree. But I think there's more and more um, a base of code that is more reliable for that. Now, interestingly enough, so far, um, Liquidity has not been had any issues. I think they're two years in now. Um, and they were radically decentralized from the very beginning. So there are no, there's nothing that that core team can change about that code. It's released, it's out, it's done. <clears throat> I think over time, as we get better and better at implementing code, um, we will, in fact, um, uh, get better at radical decentralization. But at the end of the day, you're absolutely right. My suspicion is somewhere in in potential legal or or, or laws being written that there will be permutations that are allowable changes and upgrades that could be susceptible to exploit or hacking. Um, and, and that those kinds of things will be allowed to be uh, uh, repaired. And I don't think in this particular instance, this series here, it's requiring, they're not talking about immutability or permanence of the code there. That's the EU thing. I probably should have just waited to talk about that, but uh, I think those are two separate issues. Niblet said, so the code really, really, really needs an effective self-correction subsystem built into its own DNA. 
Yeah, I think that'd be awesome. Nibbles, I would assume that it's a legit DAO action to vote to deploy new code or added additional functionality. Yeah, Chuck, I think you're absolutely right. I, I do think that that's a big part of it is that um, <clears throat> that there would have to be votes to deploy code. Uh, Nibbles says, Chuck, but they, the DAO could be updated to contradict itself. But the DAO could be updated to contradict itself. Not sure I understand, but I'm sure you will clarify for me, Nibbles. It's awesome. I love these discussions. Um, oh, so <laughs> more, more Senator Warren, because she can't just help but continuing to make an ass of herself. Chuck said there's no law against stupid. I'm so tempted to do a video taking this interview she did and picking it apart and trying to do it from the perspective of someone trying to educate her. Um, because during the course of this interview, she said there can be a bank run on Bitcoin. No, there can be a bank run on an exchange that is centralized. There cannot be a bank run on Bitcoin. And uh, government needs the ability to print money in order to prevent bank runs. Well, I mean, I can probably give her that uh, in terms of governments and fiat, but it isn't a necessity for in any way, shape, or form for uh, Bitcoin or other cryptocurrencies not dependent on it. Yeah. Yes, Niblets, that is Chuck Todd. Uh, and I haven't seen the whole interview yet. I've only seen this piece, but evidently he was um, incredibly uncomfortable with, with throughout the interview. I want to get the whole thing. I want to take a look at it, and I want to make... Uh, I may make an effort if I can find the time at some point to uh, do a response to her, but I'm not sure it's worth the effort, really. Probably not, though, anyway. Uh, that would be a hopeless, obtuse interview. Yeah. I cannot stom stomach that much masturbatory stupidity. <laughs> Nibbles, I love that you don't hold back, man. I love that you... Uh, you just have no problem putting it out there, man. That's fucking awesome. Awesome. Uh, oh, here's the uh, here's the EU thing. Oh, wait, let me get this URL. Hold on one second. Maybe we'll play this little snippet because I haven't listened to the whole thing yet. Uh, here is the other, uh, the EU uh, legal thing that came out. Uh, Gabriel says, important and unfortunately bearish threat on EU's AML regulation as opposed to DAOs and DeFi. So um, there's a new EU anti-money laundering regulation, not final yet. Uh, it will be directly applicable in all member states once it is final. It addresses DAOs and DeFi. Uh, this is by, by the way, Jake uh, Semptinger. And he says, DAOs and DeFi will be in scope of AMLR to the extent those arrangements provide, perform for crypto asset services as defined in MICA and are controlled directly or indirectly, including through smart contracts or voting controls by identifiable natural or legal persons. So, you know, here's where we come back to the radically decentralized um, potential of some protocols, um, because this is uh, when controlled, uh, including through smart contracts or voting by identifiable natural or legal persons. Uh, and I think that identifiable word is interesting, uh, right? A technical note, however, clarifies DeFi does not fall under the scope of the crypto asset services providers to the extent it is fully decentralized and operated without any intermediary. Therefore, there is no identified body that is responsible for compliance and checks. So essentially what they're saying is if this is radically decentralized and there is no identifiable human, 
that we can say can control this, make changes, et cetera, then no one is responsible for compliance and checks and that project is not responsible. Again, I'm not an attorney and I'm especially not an EU expert. I'm just reading into what I'm seeing here from him. It remains unclear what operated with out any intermediary or controlled by identifiable persons means. The developer seems to be out of the picture, but what about the deployer? What about the governance token holder? What about the upgradability multi-sig holder? Um, what about the LP? What about the elder of LP tokens? What about the relayer? What about the subgraph host? What about the front end host? Naturally, the AMLR draft doesn't say. It will have to be determined for each protocol slash arrangement depending on the relevant crypto asset service. He does talk later on about the fact that the, every... Uh, project will be up for review. There will be a database for it all. And every project will be handled on an individual basis. So there is an interpretation capability here with regards to this regulation. If DeFi protocols are considered to be operated with an intermediary and are controlled by identifiable persons through smart contracts, so-called DAOs, and are non-compliant, they will be considered unregistered and unlicensed crypto asset service providers. Credit and financial institutions, including crypto asset service providers, will be prohibited from corresponding with unlic these unlicensed entities, controlled DAOs, and DeFi protocols. There will be a public register on unregistered and unlicensed crypto asset service providers, including those controlled DAOs, DeFi protocols, together with shell banks maintained by MLA, the new anti-monitoring laundering watchdog in the EU. When conducting their counterparty risk analysis, crypto asset service providers will be required to analyze their counterparties' wallets. Transactions with unidentified addresses and DeFi applications will trigger a high-risk assessment. So, um, you know, it, it looks like they are, you know, trying to figure out some way to do uh, anti-money laundering uh, in the EU relevant to DeFi and crypto. Um, it's going to be really interesting to see where this fleshes out. I will say that um, there is some, it is at least heartening to know that they understand um, to some extent that there are some things they can't be policed and that there are some circumstances where humans can't do anything to enforce what they're asking them to enforce. Um, where this all ends up, who knows? Again, it hasn't been finalized. Uh, I think he says later on in a comment that um, it has to be put into place, I think next month, and then there will be 18 months of implementation planning. And then at the end of the 18 months is when this will go into effect. So anyway, Niblet says, oh, what could be better for fighting money laundering than a permanent immutable ledger of all transactions? Yeah, no fucking, right? I mean, the most transparent method possible for tracking uh, money laundering, but you know, what do we know, right? At some point in the flow, at some point in time, someone will be doxxed and the whole flow unravels publicly. Yeah, uh, definitely. Um, look, this is all going to be painful and messy, um, really painful and messy for probably a long time to come. But, you know, we just got to cope, I guess. Um, oh, uh, just a, a quick note. Uh, I posted... Uh, uh, we talked about the fact yesterday that uh, Eamon was um, impacted by the Euler Labs uh, exploit, as well as um, he posted a long uh, summary of what he encountered when scammers tried to take advantage of uh, him being a victim of the Euler uh, hack. And uh, I would encourage you to go read his profile, Zero Gs, on uh, Twitter, um, because he did a brilliant job of kind of explaining how it all worked. And how scammers, you know, when they know somebody's down and out and has lost something, lost value that they know they're desperate to try to get it back. Anyway, Euler Labs announced yesterday evening 
that following successful negotiations, all of the recoverable funds taken from the Euler X protocol on March 13th have now been successfully returned by the exploiter. So um, that's great news. Uh, I don't know what uh, recoverable funds means, um, but I assume it has something to do with uh, some level of reward. He, they said because the exploiter did the right thing, returned the funds, uh, and the re $1 million reward campaign launched by the Euler Foundation will no longer be accepting new information, full details to follow. I assume they're giving him a cut, right? Then he's getting to keep, you know, a couple of mil or something. Uh, for uh, finding his conscience in the recesses of his brain after he fucked with people completely and totally. Um, of course, he could have just submitted it uh, for a bug bounty and, uh, you know, made some money. Not as much as he's going to make from hacking it, though. So I'm not sure what kind of behavior we're teaching or what kind of incentives we're providing. But, uh, yeah. Uh, Niblet says, I wish that could have happened with Beanstalk. There, there's actually an effort underway, but it took far too long to put in place. Uh, to try to negotiate with the uh, exploiter of Beanstalk. Um, a friend of ours, uh, Syncubate, is, um, is, has been kind of spearheading that, trying to get the team to be more actively engaged with it. I think there was a general feeling within um, the leadership team at Beanstalk that uh, it was you know, not hopeful, that there was no way to get the money back, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but, you know, there's an attempt being made to uh, try to do that. And um, they're still trying to encourage the team to actively engage with the group that's trying to do it, Hats Finance, and uh, see if they can make something happen to try to recover for some funds from the hacker. I doubt very seriously that's a realistic possibility. But, you know, who knows? Uh, bah, 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 bah. Let me see what else. Oh, this is fascinating. So um, the... <laughs> there is a, um, a criminal case against uh, the Coinbase uh, manager or executive who utilized listing uh, information to inside trade uh, with his brother and somebody else on uh, Coinbase um, and made like $1.5 million uh, front running, you know, coin listings, token listings. And so he's already pled guilty to that and is supposed to be sentenced, I think, sometime this month. Um, but there is also an SEC lawsuit against him. And interestingly enough, Coinbase itself is uh, filing briefs on behalf of the court against uh, the SEC because evidently a number of projects, I think also Polyfy, uh, uh, this is, is this a behind a paywall? wasn't yesterday. That's really strange. Uh, I think that Polyfy and, and uh, two of the blockchain associations that do lobbying are all filing uh, friends of the court briefs to contest the SEC's rights to call any of the assets uh, that were involved securities. They see this as an opportunity to push um, the issue in court and force the SEC's hands on labeling these things securities. And evidently, they think this particular case gives them some grounding to do that. Um, Coinbase in particular, uh, taking a stance um, that they have a process for reviewing these that made this not pass the Howey test. They are in the filings of the different parties filing, attacking uh, the SEC's ability to interpret Howey as it relates to crypto 
and trying to get the judge to rule that, in fact, because Congress haven't legislated on these types of issues related to securities in crypto, that the SEC does not actually have the power um, to charge and sue uh, folks in this way. This is going to be really interesting to see. Um, I, I guess the attorneys all think that this has a lot of more potential from a lawsuit perspective to get something into a judgment. We'll see what happens. I, I, I don't know if anything good is going to come out of it or not, but uh, we'll see what happens. Uh, Niblet said, problem with fully decentralized is that such orgs can't respond to black swans well because black swans cannot be predicted and coded for. Yeah, I totally agree. Look, there's going to be all kinds of problems with um, us trying to get to that decentralized model. But the other thing I would say to teams is, um, you know, um, can you can you build in the ability to handle uh, black swan events. Um, I don't know if that's possible or not, but I'd certainly like to see people uh, uh, try. Niblet says responses to black swans have always have to be bespoke and targeted. I, I think you're probably right. Um, but you know, we have a lot of history and a lot of data um, r related to that. So there may be some opportunities to, um, to code for it, but it's probably a next to impossible thing. So, all right, folks, I'm going to wrap it up today. Eh, five minutes short uh, of, the, of our normal 45-minute goal. Thank you so much, Niblets and Chuck, for participating today. Love you guys being here and uh, appreciate uh, your participation. Thank you, everyone who's listening on the podcast. If you are and you haven't joined our community yet, visit t.me forward slash mission defi, t.me forward slash mission defi. Lots of good people, lots of good conversations, lots of good alpha happening in that uh, community. Uh, I would encourage you to join, introduce yourself and become part of the chat because there's uh, there's lots to be learned. I've learned so much already from the people in there, including Sean and Niblets and Chuck and, and a bunch of other folks who are in having discussions on a regular basis. Joe and I'll be back tomorrow um, with uh, one of the folks from Cello uh, to talk about their blockchain and why it's important and why they think it's better than what's out there. So uh, I'm looking forward to that conversation and to learning more about that. And uh, if you're listening on YouTube or podcast, please rate and review us. Uh, make sure you subscribe. Click the little bell so you get alerted when new episodes come out. And make sure, as Joe would say, you have smashed the thumbs up. I hope everyone has a fantastic Tuesday afternoon. Um, we'll talk to you guys soon. Take care. Bye-bye.